Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Welcome back, my good friends. Thank you for your time today. Please lend me your ears once again as I tell you about how a man who is both renowned as a cold-blooded outlaw who killed without reason and a great champion for the rights of man. Uh, Listen as I tell you about Champ Ferguson, the Confederate renegade. There's no adage of the mountains that holds that history is written by the victors. And uh, to a large extent, I'd have to agree with that. Yet, at the end of the Civil War, our nation's bloodiest struggle, only two men were tried and executed for war crimes. Both had served in the Confederate Army. One was Henry Wurz, Commandant of the notorious prisoner of war camp at Andersonville, Georgia. The other was Rebel Partisan Ranger and guerrilla fighter Champ Ferguson. Now, there might be some wiggle room for extenuating circumstances in the case of Commander Works, who was an ineffectual leader and clearly in over his head with it all. The same, however, can't be said for Mr. Ferguson. While some sentimentalists have held on to the image of Champ Ferguson as a much-wronged Southern patriot and a freedom fighter, he was, in fact, a vicious, cold-blooded killer who took life without so much as batting his eye and without a bit of reason in some cases. In fact, in most cases. In the Cumberland Mountain community of Albany, Kentucky, the seat of Clinton County, there stands a plaque that reads, Civil War Terrorist Champ Ferguson, born here in 1821. And indeed, Champ Ferguson was born there in Kentucky in 1821, the eldest of ten children. 
He would go on to move to White County, Tennessee in the 1850s. Champ was very much a product of his time and place. A relatively successful South Central Kentucky farmer, he was born into a Southern mountain border culture that embraced a blood feud and justified violence, often to the death as a means of resolving personal differences. Kentucky-born Abraham Lincoln well understood the mentality when he wrote, Each man feels an impulse to kill his neighbor, lest he be killed first by him. To Champ Ferguson, the world was a simple place consisting of friends and enemies. The former were to be embraced, and the latter, well, they needed to be eliminated. In 1858, he killed his first man, stabbing a local constable over a financial dispute. According to his own account, when he joined the war three years later, it was less because of his commitment to the Southern cause than as a means of escaping prosecution. By this time, Champ was 39, and but despite his late start in the field of killing, he would soon add dozens of people to his final tally. At six feet in height and weighing some 180 pounds, Champ was an imposing figure with a reputation around his hometown as a drinker, a gambler, and a bully. His powerful physical appearance combined with what one historian referred to as his primordial nature struck terror in the hearts of his enemies. Now, today, six feet tall doesn't sound all that tall, but back when the average height of a man was around 5'8", that was pretty tall. As with many who lived in the conflicted border states, Champ's War had less to do with fighting for the Southern independence than settling scores with neighbors, and in some cases with his own blood kin who happened to be on what he saw as the wrong side. He himself later described his guerrilla band's theater of operations like this. We were having sort of a malicious war up there through Fentress County, Tennessee, and Clinton County, Kentucky, and all through that region. Each of us had from 20 to 30 prescribed enemies, and it was regarded as a legitimate aim to kill any and all of them at any time, any place, and under any circumstance. And he did exactly that once the war started. His first victim then was a neighbor named William Frog. When he rode up to the Frog cabin, Mrs. Frog suspected no ill will. She had known Champ since childhood, and she offered him a seat and an apple. He refused both and sought out her husband, who lay ill in his bed. Champ inquired as to Mr. Frog's health, and his neighbor responded, I am very sick, I had the measles, and I have had a relapse. Champ immediately accused Mr. Frog of having contracted his illness while visiting the Yankee Recruitment Center in nearby Camp Dick Robinson, which Mr. Frog vehemently denied. At that point, Champ simply drew his pistol and shot Mr. Frog twice in front of his wife and child, killing him on the spot. He then ransacked the cabin looking for weapons. At this trial uh, four years later, Champ would voice what would become his constant refrain, I consider myself justified in killing him. One month later, Champ saddled and stole a horse of another local citizen while loudly cursing him man for being a damn Lincolnite and threatening to kill him. I guess that man was lucky he survived to tell the story. 
That same day, he rode the stolen horse to a farm of Reuben Wood, a man who had been a lifelong friend until the war put him on opposite sides. As Mr. Wood finished feeding his livestock and was entering his house, Champ rode up with two Confederates and said, I suppose you've been to Camp Robinson. Apparently, the Champ, simply visiting the Yankee Recruitment Center, earned a man a death sentence. Mr. Wood acknowledged that he had, to which, according to the later testimony of Mr. Wood's daughter, Champ responded with a long, vile, bitter diatribe, ending with, Don't you beg and don't you dodge. Mr. Wood's wife and daughter pleaded for his life while the old man himself reminded Champ, I've nursed you. Has there ever been any misunderstanding between us? To which Champ coldly replied, No, Reuben, you've always treated me like a gentleman, but you have been a, up to Camp, Rob, Camp Robinson, and I intend to kill you for that. And that's exactly what he did. Clinton County... Champ Ferguson's home and birthplace was overwhelmingly Unionist in its sympathies, as was nearly all of Champ's own family in the killing of William Frog and Reuben Wood, as well as the blatant theft of livestock, had roused the whole countryside against him. After his father's death, Reuben Wood's son gathered a small band of armed men for the express purpose of going out, finding, and killing one Champ Ferguson. He missed his chance, and Champ quickly moved across the border into sectionist Tennessee with his band of renegades, settling in White County along the Calf-Keller River. By this time, Champ's brother Jim had joined the Union's 1st Kentucky Cavalry as a scout, and the brothers had sworn to kill each other on sight, which no doubt would have happened had Jim not been ambushed and killed in December 19, 1861. The Tennessee-Kentucky border was hotly contested by both Union and Confederate forces all through the war, and from time to time, Champ found himself serving with regular rebel units, most notably as a scout for the cavalry of the legendary John Hunt Morgan. However, he preferred to function on his own without the bothersome rules of military conduct, which seemed to get in his way. His former home, Clinton County, soon became the scene of a vicious guerrilla fighting. Champ's opposing member, local hardcore Union partisan and guerrilla leader David Tinker Dave Beatty, swore to kill Champ, and each gave as good as he got, with atrocities committed on both sides. By the winter of 1862, conditions had gotten so out of hand along the Kentucky-Tennessee border that members of the partisan bands from both sides met in Monroe, Tennessee to discuss a cessation of hostilities. There was no need in everybody just going around wantonly killing everybody for no reason, so it was agreed by those attending, including Tinker Dave, that they would cease the wanton killing and looting, lay down their weapons, and go home. Besides, form, farming was needing to be done in the coming spring, and yeah, time, time for family and keep them from starving to death. Well, I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend. I'm Larry Bentley. Now with a general peace within the grasp, wouldn't you know it, a handful of rebel guerrillas, including Champ Ferguson, immediately broke the terms of the agreement, ensuring the mayhem would continue. Of course, we would expect no less from Champ at this point, would we? 
Throughout the four years of war, Champ killed regular soldiers, members of the Home Guard, and simple farmers. He slew helpless prisoners and the children of his enemies. At one point, he berated one of his men for sparing the lives of fleeing boys who were screaming. And by saying himself, damn them, you ought to shot them too. He murdered five men in one day alone, to last a local youth of just 16 years old. Although he sometimes used his pistol or rifle, he preferred to do his killing up close and personal with a bowie knife. Champ apparently was always on the lookout for the possibility of personal gain as well. Clergyman Isaac T. Renault wrote in a letter to Tennessee Governor and future President Andrew Johnson, Ferguson has been engaged in horse stealing on a large scale ever since the Great Rebellion began, and it is supposed that he has stole thousands of dollars worth of property. The most deliberate cold-blooded murders perpetrated by Champ Ferguson, though, uh, occurred after the October 1864 Battle of Saltville, Virginia, both before and after the killing of Lieutenant Elza Smith. After the Battle of Saltville in Virginia, Union Lieutenant Elza C. Smith of the 13th Kentucky Cavalry lay wounded in an Emory and Henry College Hospital along with several of his troopers. Suddenly, rebel guerrilla Champ Ferguson burst into the ward at the head of his band of misfits. He strode across the room, and when he came to Smith's cock, he raised his rifle and snarled, Do you see this? He placed the muzzle of about a foot from Smith's forehead as the injured man lay helpless, pleading for his life. Champ drew back the hammer and click, the whipping misfired. He cocked his rifle and pulled the trigger twice more with the same result. Finally, and mercifully I'd have to say at this point, on the fourth attempt, the gun discharged and Lieutenant Smith lay dead on his cot with a bullet through his head. Champ and his own men rampaged through the hospital and the grounds slaying injured troopers where they found them, as well as the soldiers and the officers with whom they'd served from both sides of the, both the Union and the Confederacy, that is. It didn't matter to Champ. All of them had to go. After the all-out slaughter, Champ saw a wounded trooper crawling along the ground, and Champ demanded to know why in the world he'd come down here to fight with the damn Union. Champ drew his pistol and asked the hapless soldier where will you have it, in the back or in the face? The terrified youth was incoherent in pain and fear, so Champ took it upon himself to choose his face for him. So outraged was the Confederate High Command at Champ's conduct at Saltville that they ordered his arrest. He was pounced on and arrested and incarcerated in February 8, 1865, but by this time, Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia was on the run, and the war was all but lost for the South. Brigadier General John Eccles ordered Champ released within days of Lee's surrender, and soon after, the Confederacy crumbling around him, Champ was back in the Cumberland, weapons in hand, picking up all right back up where he left off. He slew his last two men on May 1st, and within days, Union Major General George Thomas ordered that Champ Ferguson be declared an outlaw and his surrender refused. That meant arrest him and drag him in or kill him on sight, one or the other. Champ's former comrades, presented with the possibility of parole, urged him to surrender rather than 
bring the wrath of the victorious northern army down on them all. I guess by that time he figured that it just might be time to lay down his weapons and go home because by the end of that month, Champ was arrested at his home and charged with murdering 53 men. At his trial, the prosecution paraded 43 witnesses out in front of the jury, each time with a personal story of how the defendant Champ Ferguson had murdered a friend or a loved one. One of the most damning witnesses was none other than Tinker Dave Beatty, whose offenses on behalf of the Union were probably just as heinous as those of Champ Ferguson, but huh, he had the good fortune of being on the side that won. Ferguson displayed no remorse, whatever, and allowed to speak, either denied or attempted to justify his killings. Former Confederate General and Cavalry Commander Joseph Wheeler was one of the few men to speak in Champ's behalf but the jury just wasn't impressed with his testimony. The jury convicted Champ on all counts and sentenced him to hang. In his final statement, he said, I die a rebel out and out, and my last request is that my body be removed to White County, Tennessee, and buried in good rebel soil. Champ Ferguson was executed on the morning of October 20th, 1865. Just before he dropped through the trap door, his voice rang out from under the hood, before a crowd of silent observers. He said, Good Lord, have mercy on my soul. The trap door failed to break his neck, but rendered him unconscious. He lived for 17 minutes before attending physician pronounced him dead. His wife and daughter took him back home to White County and buried him in the local churchyard according to his last wish. Americans have always loved their outlaws. By combining a Robin Hood image with a myth of the lost cause, the South minted such would-be folk heroes as Jesse James, Cole Younger, and, of course, Champ Ferguson, assigning them in death a nobility they lacked in life. Their apologists created or subscribed to fables describing how they were driven to it by a cruel and brutal foe. Such stories grew up around Champ Ferguson while he was alive. One tells how his wife and daughter were outraged by Union soldiers. Some version have them killed, driving Champ to join the war and to seek revenge. Another tale described Champ's three-year-old son, who was shot dead by a Yankee soldier for waving a small rebel flag, which was an impossibility considered his only son had died of illness in 1847. According to some contemporary sources, Champ himself occasionally fell back on those falsehoods to justify his actions, although shortly before his death, he acknowledged that they were complete fabrications. In reality, Champ Ferguson was nothing more than a mass murderer who displayed an unbridled willingness to take human life without remorse for it and for his own personal reasons. In the end, he richly deserved to do his final dance at the end of a rope. I hope you got something out of our story today needed to be told. If you did, please rate and review the podcast and don't forget to subscribe. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com, search Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend, and give it a look. If you'd like to join, there are several levels to choose from, starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to full-blown Appalachian Hillbilly. Or you can go to Facebook group Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast where we can discuss anything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. 
I'll be back soon with another Appalachian murder mystery or legend. I'll see you then. <laughs>